This is Deb Donig with Technically Human, a podcast about ethics and technology, where I ask what it means to be human in the age of tech. Each week, I interview industry leaders, thinkers, writers, and technologists, and I ask them about how they understand the relationship between humans and the technologies we create. We discuss how we can build a better vision for technology, one that represents the best of our human values. Today's episode features Cordell France, the founder and CEO of Seeker Technologies. Seeker Technologies builds artificial intelligence across industries with a specific focus on creating ethical AI for uses in ethical contexts. Cordell France's technology has been involved in creating a response to the COVID-19 pandemic that has allowed doctors to more efficiently screen for the virus. And Seeker's Technologies has played a crucial role in developing tech that mobilizes environmental protection and conservation efforts. Cordell France founded Seeker Technologies to set new standards for how technologists create and deploy AI. And he seeks to make AI mobile, ethical, explainable, and dynamic. His vision for Seeker Technologies is committed to developing a tech culture in which the use of AI will remain ethical and equitable. Hi, Cordell. Good afternoon, Deb. So, Cordell, this is a podcast about ethics and technology, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because your company describes itself on your website as, and I'm quoting from your website here, mobile, explainable, and ethical AI. Let's start with that second one, explainable. Explain it to us. What is AI? AI has become a buzzword lately, so my definition is a bit different than others might be. But to me, artificial intelligence is this beautiful blend of computer science, statistics, math, and physics, really enabled by the accessibility to compute power, and more specifically, the most the more recent proliferate accessibility to compute power. What's generally considered as AI, I think, shifts as time progresses, but it all comes down to these, these four core principles in my mind. It's mathematics, computer science, statistics, and physics that really enable these sophisticated and intelligent capabilities that arise from machines. That seems pretty straightforward, even if it's a different explanation than ones I've heard before. What makes AI so hard to explain? Artificial intelligence, it's gained a lot of proliferate access due to a lot easier access to computational power and computational ability. And part of the reason why it's hard to explain is because given this rapid pace of computation of which it's performing and the scale of which it's performing is just difficult to kind of quantify and fathom through human thought. And if, if you can explain, humans explain our thought processes through very English prose form, Whereas you know, artificial intelligence is, it's the computation is happening in the language of a computer, and a lot of it is happening at such a large scale that it's it's difficult to route how these mathematical algorithms are working and exactly how it's performing. But that's part of what we're trying to achieve, and part of our vision at Seeker is to really change the meaning of that and, and allow these artificial intelligence algorithms to be explainable and be able to be understood such that they can be be understood by their user and engineer alike. So what are you doing to make AI more explainable? What, what goes into making it more explainable? So there's two realms in which AI needs to be explainable. Uh, it needs to be explainable to the user, which could be a physician, it could be someone browsing social media, the end user in general, and it needs to be explainable to the engineer. In order for us to make these algorithms explainable, we've got to pursue two different routes. To make things explainable to the user and gain their trust, we have to allow AI to explain itself in a way that a human can. So being able to explain why 
an AI identified a blue car within an image such that it can explain itself in the following manner. I found a bumper, I found four wheels, I found a windshield, the color blue, and the object was moving, that made me think it was a car. Similarly, from an engineering standpoint, we need to be able to trace the computational manner in which these algorithms are performing. So what I mean by that, if anyone's familiar with a neural network, an artificial neural network, it's really a big mathematical model, a big mathematical algorithm that partially emulates the way in which a human brain functions and that it can classify patterns in images, patterns in sounds, patterns in, in different mediums of data. But we need to be able to trace the neural pathway throughout those neural networks and throughout algorithms alike, just as we would really trace our thoughts in a human brain if we had the capability through intelligent medical devices. So that latter one is a little more sophisticated and a little more hard to explain, but it's at a very technical standpoint that allows us to explain to the user in a more prose, more human form what's going on when we get a result from these artificial intelligence algorithms. The first of the qualifications of explain that you talked about is something that I think about a lot. For example, on this podcast, we had Jeff Ward, who comes from Duke's Center for Law, Technology, and Policy. And one of the things we were talking about is AI able to render judgments. And he said, you know, one of the things we actually care about in rendering judgments that AI is right now not capable of providing for us is it might be able to render a judgment that is perhaps less biased or more accurate than a human judgment which we know contains bias and we know might not altogether be entirely sound or consistent. But one thing AI cannot do is explain its reasoning to us. Oftentimes it's a black box, right? That, that, that reasoning process is actually as important to our concept of justice as the outcome of that reasoning process as well. Do you see this kind of like black box of logical reasoning in the context of AI as a particular problem that, that you're able to solve? And if so, how are you going about solving that? I think that we can attempt to solve it in a few different manners. And the reason is the following. With computers, they run on strictly logic, right? So any event that a human makes a decision and incorporates bias, anytime a human makes a decision, really, they incorporate some level of bias within that decision, whether it's from emotion or past experiences or other means. And computers don't necessarily have that. They can really just run by the rules to an exact degree and not have any hormonal influences or you know past experiences that may have tra traumatized their decision making in some degree. So in that respect, AI and computers actually have an advantage. Now, the scope of the problems with which they can solve are very small right now. And so the realm of understanding that they have is very minimal. And so they really can't make decisions to some degree on the scope or on the realm, uh, the level that a human can. However, that feature I just described is a double-edged sword because humans have empathy, humans have emotion that allow them to actually influence decisions sometimes in the right way and allow them to be more personable and actually it's part of what makes us human. And that's that's kind of the beautiful thing about it. And that's really hard to code into computer algorithms is empathy and, and emotion and that type of stuff. And so the, it's kind of a double-edged sword in that regard. But if we can focus on its strengths and try to exacerbate the strengths that it has in situations where logic really needs to be applied and the rules can't be bent and we need to take emotion out of the situation, then that's really where artificial intelligence, in my opinion, 
can shine. So if we can make things explainable in that regard, I think that there's definitely a place for it. And we hope to do so in the preceding manners with uh, which I discussed with explainability. Well, forget about the empathy side for a second. I, I want to go back and push a little bit further on the judgment side. One of the big ethical issues that comes up in the context of AI is bias. Of course, uh, AI pretends to be this kind of neutral uh, arena, but we know that AI is only as unbiased as the people who build that AI. That AI gets encoded with all of the biases and the blind spots and the passion and the capacity for empathy or not that those who build it provide for it. I don't know if you've seen the recent documentary Coded Bias, but I hosted the director and I hosted a screening of the film earlier this year. And even folks who know about AI bias were really shocked at the pervasive and totalizing context for AI, how pervasive it really is. How do you think about bias and equity when you're building AI products? And what makes you think that AI products might be less biased than the people who build them? Well, first off, yes, I, I've seen that show and I would encourage uh, all the listeners if they haven't seen it to watch it because it is an excellent display of several problems that are occurring right now with artificial intelligence and, and engineering of AI products. So yes, it's very informative and people need to be ma made aware of, of the pitfalls of it. And, and humans are of the same manner. We acquire our bias through the data with which we acquire throughout our experiences, right? And AI algorithms are no different in that regard. So AI algorithms that are trained on biased data are going to give biased classifications. So you really, it drills down to the data. You've got to make sure that your data is very holistic. It's very representative of the entire population and it's got to be stress tested. You know, the algorithms themselves that are performing these really intelligent classifications can't just be tested. You've got to test the data to make sure that it's stationarity and uniform variance. And it really becomes a statistics problem at this point to make sure that your models aren't producing biased classifications and biased results. Within that coded bias film, there was an allusion to a study that I read recently. I think it was by Harvard Business Journal in which these some facial recognition systems were 35 times more likely to misclassify people of color as performing a crime than non-people of color, which drills back down to very bad data. So this can be fixed through an engineering problem, right? Because that should not, that should not be the case at all. And it's not the case in real life. So we need to have more stringent rules around how we handle our data, how we build these data sets and how we ultimately build our algorithms. And a couple ways in which we can do that is having old people peer review the data. So we're not taking data sets downloaded online and taking them for gospel truth of what they are actually, of what they say, right? So for people who aren't data scientists, there's a lot of resources online that are open source that you can download data to train artificial intelligence algorithms on as far as like images or whatever it may be that you're looking for. And you can download hundreds of thousands of images at a time. And it's hard to do quality control on that because you're sifting through hundreds of thousands of images. And so a lot of times it seems that companies are taking this data for gospel truth of what the person who acquired the data says is, is actually in the data set. But we need to perform our own quality control means to assess the statistical measures of, of how accurate the data set is of the actual population of the problem we're trying to solve. And so I know I'm being redundant here, but I'm truly trying to drive the point home that we need to make sure our data sets are very well-rounded and very, very well looked through and, and, and filtered. That being, we need to make sure that our, our artificial intelligence algorithms are also quality controlled to the appropriate regard. AI right now is, uh, as with all tech, is moving very fast and there's it's it's making a lot of people a lot of money. And with that, there's a lot of 
desire from what I've seen to maybe try to not necessarily cut corners, but try to hurry things up and maybe try to get things out the door faster. And that can lead to some weaknesses in the models and that they might not be properly quality controlled. They might be underperforming uh, as we saw with uh, a lot of the instances in the coded bias feature on Netflix. So it's it, you need to make sure that we're doing better quality control in these algorithms to make sure that they are outputting the classifications that we design them to and intend them to and make sure they're stress tested very thoroughly before we deploy them. And that might, in order to enforce that, you know, it might come down to something synonymous with how flight and medicine is with the FAA and the FDA respectively, where there's an agency that says you are or are not allowed to fly you are or not allowed to release this drug for sale, this medical device for sale. And so, you know, it, it might come down to a point where there is an algorithm agency that, or an artificial intelligence agency that says you've applied the appropriate rigor to your data set to ensure that it appropriately represents the population of the problem you're trying to solve. And you've appropriately quality controlled your algorithm to make sure that it accurately assesses the problem correctly and outputs the correct results. And so we allow you to release this product. There's various efforts in that regard to try to make sure that we are being more responsible with our data and algorithms, but at least it might come to a point where that uh, has to be taken a little more seriously with a, a more collective agency. You know, what you're saying is really interesting in terms of the kind of move fast and break things mentality that you're seeing happening across the AI industry. I live in Silicon Valley, and certainly that's very pervasive in the industry. Move fast and break things is, of course, attributed to Facebook's founder, Mark Zuckerberg, although I think it's much more pervasive, and I think it's tied to a kind of mad dash to get a product out and to make the product available before it's fully thought through and then to allow the bugs in the product to work themselves out in the process of the distribution itself. What's the problem that you see with move fast and break thing first? And second of all, why in Silicon Valley do folks feel like they need to move fast and break things? So to address the first point, there's a need to move fast. At, well, the problem with moving fast and breaking things is it can be a good thing and a bad thing, right? But when you're dealing with products and which really in this content is algorithms, artificial intelligence algorithms that have the ability to drastically impact people's lives for the better or for worse, you're, you're messing with fate. You're messing with things that uh, should be very, very, very well handled and should not be moved. You shouldn't be moving fast in that regard and you shouldn't be breaking anything, you know? Things need to be, if you're going to move fast and break things, it's got to be done internally, not externally, and not the user shouldn't be finding bugs because the consequences are so dire. Uh, it, when you have something that isn't convicting people of crimes or it isn't diagnosing, uh, isn't providing medical diagnostics or anything, then maybe you have a little more freedom to move fast and break things and, and have the user assess some bugs. But people's lives can be severely impacted with with these algorithms if they're not properly controlled and properly assessed. And in that case, there's no room for error and there's no room to try to get things out a week faster or to please investors, which segues into your second point. The reason that I see for people in Silicon Valley to try to kind of get things out the door fast and, and hustle through things is because they're being put... Uh, they have incredible demand from their investors or their board right to try to make money and make a profit. And the first to market is the first to really capture a very, very big market share and ultimately succeed or become the front runner in that market. And so 
there's a lot of speed in that regard. And I actually, I can sympathize with that uh, just because I've been put under that same stress. But again, you know, there's, there's no amount of money that can, you know, pay the price for affecting someone's life in such a drastic manner that they have to pay the consequence for something getting out a week earlier or something that could have had an extra design review or algorithm stress test in some environment or whatever. Um, the things that we need to do to make sure that artificial intelligence is ethically propelled forward and has a trajectory that ultimately benefits humanity these things aren't very difficult that we need to do. It takes people to just slow down and focus and give it attention. So it's not like we need some radical reform or there's some radical thing that we have to do in order to develop this in an ethical manner. It's just that we have to just take the time to actually recognize there's a problem and recognize what it's doing as a consequence and be able to incorporate this into our investors mentality, uh, but also push back when we are being led in a direction that could move fast and break things that can actually impact people's lives for the worst. We spend a lot of time on explain. So I think it's important now that we move to that second word, ethical. We've already gotten into this a bit, but I, I want to hear you speak specifically about this. What makes AI ethical or not? I don't think there's anything ethical with AI by default. I think we have to build ethics into it. Again, the advantage of AI and really all computers in general is that they run on logic. But that logic is developed by humans who are biased in nature. And so, you know, they are as ethical as their creators in some extent. But that we need to incorporate ethics into AI and ensure that that trajectory is the trajectory of artificial intelligence development, again, is, is positive and benefits humanity. We want to be able to look back in 100 years, we want historians to be able to look back and say, the advent of artificial intelligence and the integration of that into society and the, you know, the propellant of that was really a very huge catalyst for the fourth and fifth and sixth industrial revolutions in a very positive manner. And there was a lot of good things that came from it. You know, you want to look back and say it was tantamount to the success or the invention of flight and the invention of the light bulb. And it had such a great impact on on society and that it didn't ultimately lead to our demise or ultimately lead to such catastrophic events that it was ultimately uh, ruled out or ultimately <laughs> AI was, it was frowned upon. And I don't think the latter is, is really where we're going, but there are a lot of things we can do to ensure that it's not going in that direction by incorporating ethics and making sure that we are developing things in such a manner that it's for the better of humanity and, and not for the worse. What were you seeing in industry and on the ground that made you want to build AI that was specifically ethical? What kinds of consequences, what kind of practices were you seeing? Before the coded bias came out, I, I noticed, I pay very close attention to literature that's published on artificial intelligence in that, that whole field. And I, I noticed a lot of very similar scenarios that had occurred in which bias from the creators, the engineers were being incorporated into artificial intelligence and these products are being deployed in, in a casual manner. And it's a bit scary, right? Because at the pace at which artificial intelligence is developed, being developed, and at the pace at which it's accepting investment, very small ideas can become very big, very quickly and very rapidly. And so if they're not properly controlled, you could potentially have algorithms that have a very bad bias, but affect a lot of people very quickly. And so it kind of became a motivating factor for myself and our, my co-founder to enter the realm and, and start an effort to develop products that we can prove are ethical. We can prove, explain themselves, and we can prove that, uh, try to start a shift in philosophy of how artificial intelligence algorithms should be developed and, the, and shape the trajectory of its engineering 
engineering and progress in, in a very positive manner. And I, and I think it's gotten a little better. I think people are starting to recognize that there is a problem and there are drastic consequences that can arise if we aren't, if we don't sober up. But as far as the features that Seeker has, it'd be nice to see some other entities that incorporate that same level of explainability and ethics. And especially within data, if there's a certain standard we can put on data to say, yes, this has been, again, approved uh, by some standard or by some agency that the data is holistic, uh, that's something we're trying to do as well with our data to say, hey, our team and the experts within the domain have addressed this data and looked at the data to ensure that it, it, it it's representative of the population. Another thing that I saw that was a, a big motivator for us to start Seeker was that there were engineers that were working on artificial intelligence products and deploying them again in a little more casual manner, but they weren't experts in the field. And so what I mean by that is we have artificial intelligence engineers who are very good computer scientists and very good algorithm developers, and they shouldn't be explicitly deploying models that do image recognition for medical purposes, right? Without consulting the physician and experts in the medical field. So you really need to have, make sure that you have domain expertise coming in and reviewing the data sets to make sure that uh, it, it is representative again of the population and, and can check the engineer's work in some regard. So you have to have, make sure there's this dance between engineering and domain expertise, which is something we strive to do with Seeker that, so that we're not blindly pushing out AI that uh, affects industries. We have no idea what's going on in we have experts come in to educate us and, and review the data from a different angle as well. I want to ask you a couple of questions about your work culture and the context in which you build in all of these different experts to help consult and make sure that, that in the multiple arenas and the multiple dimensions in which you're deploying AI, you're doing so in awareness of some of those other contexts and in collaboration symbiotically with some of those other fields. Do you think that this kind of broader set of experts Expertise changes the outcomes of the way that your AI works? And what kinds of fields are you bringing in? For example, I'm a humanist. I come from the humanities. My background is in, in English literature. I say before we can create any product, we first have to imagine it. So we really want to explore and understand how we imagine. And there are people who, and I'm not one of them, but there are people who spend eight to 10 years studying, for example, the vast tradition of ethics so that they can answer ethical questions. Are you bringing in alongside the doctors who can recognize whether or not your data sets are right? Are you bringing in folks who have the knowledge base about whether your ethics are right? Yes, we are. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's that's it, it's very important to have that really is if someone's going to start an artificial intelligence company, they should have a default position. It should be an ethics officer should be as paramount as uh, a chief executive officer, right? Like if you're going to start something that is as high tech as AI, we need to ensure that there is some authority there that can review ethics and, and review the standards to not only the domain that you're building AI in, but just someone who's got a very good back, diverse background in employing ethics and really knows what it means to make a product ethical. And so we do have experts that come in and, and vet that in different regards alongside the experts that are domain specialists for what the product we're developing. And it's actually, I, I think it does affect the outcomes of the algorithms because it's actually helped shape our thinking of, of, of the way we engineer algorithms in some degree, because we might have not even thought about some of these corner cases and how to develop for them. But the expertise of these domain specialists allowed us to see a different light that we never even thought of that 
drastically could have affected our algorithms. As an example, I have, uh, we Secret developed a product called COVID AI, which is basically it's artificial intelligence that looks at an x-ray image and detects uh, whether or not a person has up to seven different respiratory conditions through a chest x-ray image. And we had through the meetings and the advisory and, and sitting down in actual meetings with these uh, domain experts, we were able to cover a lot of cases that we didn't think about as engineers because we're thinking about it from a computer science standpoint. And then we go and talk to ethicists, right, who have a different background than all the, the doctors and the engineers, and they help us uh, cover a whole other set of cases that we, a whole other set of flaws that were within our algorithm that we didn't previously see before. And so you have this very yin and yang approach in which you, I don't really think that engineers can provide a holistic design perspective on AI, you really need to have people from many walks of life, ethicists especially, and domain experts especially, that advise the engineers within the development. So can you give me a sense of how you go about building an ethical product in terms of building your company culture, in terms of you know how you start initiating the process of examining ethics? What does it look like on, on a day-to-day -day basis? And what does it look like in terms of a business plan to design a product around ethics? A lot of what Seeker does is we, we focus on mobile AI. So what that means is we, we try to, our products use artificial intelligence that does not rely on a cloud connection. So we keep all the data on the user's device and keep it private. So in one aspect of ethics, there's a concern for privacy, right? If you have to send data to a cloud artificial intelligence model to diagnose whether or not an image contains a certain pattern, then and then it's got to send a classification back, there's, there's a data leak there in which you could potentially expose if you're medicine patient privacy or consumer privacy, if it's social media, different things like that. And so that is, that's of a particular concern. So being able to let the user know that your privacy is protected on the device, we're not capturing the data, we can't see the data and we don't, I mean, you can use our products without an internet connection. It all lives on your device. You own your data and we try to be very upfront and explicit uh, with the users about that. And then having ethicists come in and advise us, uh, especially for that process, when we had the ethicists come in and advise us, they were able to guide us in certain ways that we really didn't think of. We kind of thought that, especially in regards to HIPAA compliance, we kind of thought that, you know, if you can put, if you publish a product in social media or a consumer base or whatever other artificial intelligence industry there is, it's the same as publishing something in medicine. It's definitely not the case. Anyone who has had any exposure to the medical field knows some, about something called HIPAA compliancy, which is basically a patient privacy protection act. And I would encourage everyone to read up on it because uh, it kind of gives you a little more insight on what you're signing up for when you go into the doctor and you sign up all these, you sign all these documents. But uh, in the United States, it's a very, very good law that helps protect patient privacy to make sure that our data as patients isn't being sold and exposed to third parties and in a malicious manner by the doctor or the physician, the, the medical institution. And that took an overwhelming, like I did a whole 180 on our, our method of thinking about how we can handle data and how we should handle data and what it means to really protect people's privacy. So we actually, from that point forward, after we developed that first medical product, we actually start incorporating HIPAA compliancy standards into all of our products, whether it's for the medical field or not, whether it's for agriculture or uh, manufacturing, whatever it is, we employ those same principles so that we can try to establish trust with our users, but again, try to follow that ethos of, of ethical AI. So I think that having 
helping the ethicists come in with and assess HIPAA compliancy was probably the biggest wake up call for us on how to really address what it means to be an ethical AI company. But what about your engineers? Do you think about ethics when you hire folks to work with you or work for you? I know that you obviously think about this when you're hiring your ethicists, but what about people who are filling technical roles? What kinds of questions do you ask if if you are asking them? And, and how would you put up those kinds of safeguards to keep your product ethical in the context of the technical side? So when we hire engineers, well, really any position, we do look at ethics in a manner of really, we, we want to try to hire people that they want to move forward in a fast manner, but they're not, they don't have the move fast and break things mentality uh, because that's going to get us in some pretty deep water. And uh, obviously we just discussed about how that's kind of uh, uncovering a lot of flaws with AI by having that mentality. So we try to hire people that have a very thorough personality, people that really try to understand the rules and really think before they speak. They, we try to find people that, uh, especially in engineering, um, engineers that uh, try to make a plan of attack before they start coding, before they start developing everything, and people that are willing to listen. Because artificial intelligence in itself is a pretty young field, uh, and there's a lot of potential for small players to have a, a big impact, uh, but there's also a lot to discover. And we need to have engineers that are willing to kind of reshape the realm of thinking in some regard, but also willing to listen to people they might not have had to listen before, such as domain experts or ethicists, right? Because you've got to be able to work alongside these folks and heed their advice in order to make our product successful. Otherwise, the company doesn't work and we won't work as a team and we fall apart. So when people are really good at their jobs, it's kind of hard to, or, or their realm of expertise, it's very hard to, for them to sometimes take criticism or take advice, especially if they haven't done it before. And so we try to really make sure that we don't employ those folks and that we are employing folks that are willing to question the status quo and, and really heed advice from, from outside sources. You know, this is really exciting for me to hear because I've been looking for a long time at a shift in ethical technology culture in Silicon Valley culture broadly speaking. And by Silicon Valley, I of course mean the literal space of Silicon Valley, but I also mean all of the outlets in which technology nationwide is proliferating and production is, is moving forward in a kind of industrial sense. And I'm really interested in what you're saying here about the way that you select for people, even in technical roles who have the capacity to think ethically and are willing to think in ethical forms and in ethical terms. And I'm really interested in you saying that that's something that, that you select for. Do you think that that's something that makes your company stand out? Or do you think that this is part of a larger trend in Silicon Valley toward being hyper vigilant and, and or maybe not hyper vigilant, but certainly more vigilant about ethics? I think it is something that makes Seeker stand out. I'm not sure if it's something that most of our customers fully appreciate yet. There are customers who understand artificial intelligence and really keep up with the industry appreciate it quite well. But some of the newcomers who aren't quite as adept with some of the common work in the industry maybe don't quite appreciate what it means to be ethical AI or develop ethical algorithms. I do think that there is a shift in thinking that is coming through Silicon Valley and really you know, the rest of the artificial intelligence community 
in that people are finally seeing the repercussions of not having ethical products, not having ethical algorithms and having very huge flaws and bias within their data sets and within their artificial intelligence models. And so I think there is a shift that's starting to change in which this ethical thinking is becoming more accepted. And I, I hope that continues. And I hope it continues to where that to the point that being if you're going to be employed as an engineer at some company, having a degree on your resume is just as important as having some sort of ethical bad writer, some sort of ethical notion that you can think in that manner. And I don't know really exactly what that might be or how to facilitate that, but I hope it is something that recruiters will seek out for and companies will start to realize that it is something that we need in order to be successful. Because right now, employing models that have that have consequences that really affect people's lives aren't there maybe like a slap on the wrist it seems like for some of these cons or for some of these models that don't act in the way we intended but at some point it's going to become legal right there's going to be very legal matters involved and if you ship a product that isn't well vetted and it comes down to the point where your algorithms made a very severe impact on something that wasn't supposed to happen then there's legal consequences and at that point you know that'll wake people up if it doesn't wake them up before so i think we're kind of at a foreshadowing point right now where, where we need to wake up and see that the future will be a lot more harsh if we don't start to employ ethics in all aspects of engineering. You spoke a little bit earlier about COVID-19 and some of the work that you're doing in that context. And I saw when I was researching and reviewing some of your work and in preparing for this conversation that your company really grew during the pandemic. Talk to us a little bit about how the pandemic shifted the development of what you were doing. Before the pandemic, we had encountered some customers that were a little more apprehensive towards the use of artificial intelligence because, for one, they didn't have a lot of exposure to really what AI was and what it was capable of. And two, their opinions had been formed by what they'd seen within the media right, by pop culture. Uh, so they see Terminator or they see bad repercussions of facial recognition and they have an immediate distrust in AI and what it can be. This is particularly true in the medical field. And I think that COVID-19 imposed some really interesting restrictions on all of us in which we had to think creatively and had to really dig deep down and find technologies and, and innovations to address the problem and get humanity back to normalcy. So that opened up some big opportunities for us because we had some customers that were willing to embrace artificial intelligence, particularly in medicine, and really give it a shot, not give Seeker a shot, but give AI a shot. And in particular, that was true for uh, this respiratory chest x-ray analyzer that we built called COVID AI. And the whole thing was such a, a fantastic process and such a fantastic experience. We ended up donating the product fully for the benefit of the COVID-19 effort. And we were really trying to relieve the demand on physicians that were screening for COVID-19. And in this regard, it was relieving the demand of radiologists and radiology technicians screening for COVID-19 and chest x-rays to try to triage people whether or not their x-ray contained pneumonia, COVID-19, emphysema, different diagnoses of, of that regard. And instead of having to have a radiology technician uh, look at the image and assess it for a few minutes or a few seconds, AI did it in tenths of a second. So it really, we were trying to just move the pandemic forward in that regard. And it ended up working really, really well and got us some more work within medicine and particularly in neuropsychology. So again, we, we donated that directly to the COVID-19 cause and we've gained some really great insight and really some great trust within the community, particularly in the medical field about how AI can benefit. And I think people are starting to look at it a little more seriously, at least from what we've talked to, the critics before and the naysayers before are a little more open and, and willing to kind of engage 
artificial intelligence methods to try to kind of increase their throughput and augment their capabilities. Were there ethical questions that came up in the context of doing that work and building the AI in, in that context? Yes, because we had to make sure that, and I think this should go for any, any, any product being built AI, you should make sure that it's not the final link in the chain of anything. So what I mean by that is for this COVID diagnosis app, we had to make sure that, or we wanted to make sure that it wasn't the, the thing that said someone had COVID-19 or not, and whether or not they were on a ventilator or not. It was a second opinion that helped confirm or triage things in an appropriate manner because you wouldn't want to use the app to say, oh, this person has COVID-19 or they don't have COVID-19. They don't need a ventilator. Put them, this, put them to this unit of the hospital under this treatment and we end up having a false positive or something or false negative and then we end up potentially hurting the patient to a very bad degree or they end up it ends up being fatal for that patient we had to make sure that that was not the case so that was the first thing uh making sure that we were augmenting physicians capabilities not replacing them we weren't the final link in the chain uh, that we were just basically providing a second opinion and thirdly the ethical principle that we had to incorporate was again around hipaa compliancy and how we kind of handle patients data and how we make sure that everything is handled legally not just ethically, but legally. Um, and those kind of, in a medical sense, go hand in hand with HIPAA compliance regards. But going back to our development time, that artificial intelligence model was, we spent the most time on that than we had on any other AI model we've ever built because the consequences were so great, right? And we had, we were, there was such a big stage to fill and we really wanted to make a name for AI and medicine. So making sure that our models were very, very rid of bias and our data sets were very representative of the population was, was very critical. And we spent a lot of time on that, making sure domain experts came in, making and, and vetted the data, making sure that we were controlling people's privacy in, a, in an ethical way by having multiple HIPAA compliance experts and ethicists come in to vet that and vet our standards in that regard. There was a lot of time spent on non-engineering work just to make sure that our data was of the appropriate caliber in order to move forward with engineering development. I wanted to go back to something you said earlier in your answer where you were talking about making sure that you were keeping to HIPAA regulations and you called that ethical. Many people who talk about ethics talk about ethics as a moment where you actually have to choose between two options, not the moment where you have to follow the law. So if there's a rule or there's a law and you follow the law, that's not ethics, that's following the law. So the example I give my students when I talk about this is I say, if I am driving a car and I stop at a red light, that's not an ethical choice that I'm making. I'm following the law. Ethics comes into play when I have to make an ethical choice that goes beyond the context of the rule. What ethical choices for you became challenging above and beyond the mandates that you just followed the law? Again, making sure that we were kind of a triage tool and not a diagnostic tool. We were approached about building something that could ultimately say whether or not something a patient had this respiratory condition, whether or not they had COVID-19 or whether or not they had pneumonia. But we elected not to take that, even though it would have been a lot more celebratory and a lot more successful outcome and expose us to a lot higher stage. We chose not to take that because an algorithm and a machine shouldn't decide what a patient gets as far as treatment goes. And in this case, it shouldn't decide whether or not a patient receives a treatment that could or could not be fatal. 
right? So that that's that's an important distinguishing uh, factor we had to make. And well, you know, I mean, it probably costs us some money, but in the end, that's the thing to do. Like, this should never be a question of of money or whether investors are going to invest more in one area or another, or one if you go one fork in the road or the other. It's you know, it, you go back to human nature, and all we have really is is ethics on how we can treat each other. And uh, at the end of the day, if 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 we don't employ those, then what's humanity really? So, and this becomes kind of an important rule as we move forward with artificial intelligence development in general, is we want to make sure that it, we develop it to a point where it still represents humanity in some regard, because we've got to make sure that it employs ethics and employs these principles that make it relatable to us and make it, it doesn't just follow the rules. It can actually act in an ethical manner because as it evolves and its trajectory shifts into more diverse environments and in more I guess, uh, significant industries such as is, is one is used more heavily in medicine or even defense, those become very important conversations to have, right? And at the point when we, be, when we get to the point where we start to be able to simulate consciousness or aspects of consciousness, these become very, very sobering conversations, right? So you have to, we, we, we've got to start now with these smaller products, these smaller projects where we have very narrow AI and have, having it being able to solve small problems. So that when these big problems arise, we aren't playing catch up and we aren't making the ethical decisions at that point. It's It's got to start with these smaller efforts. The pivotal question for me that comes out of what you're saying here is that in my view, I look at the next 10 to 20 years of tech production and I think to myself, I think that the, the majority of questions that are going to be really important questions in the next 10 to 20 years are not pivotally going to be questions about whether we can build something. They're going to be questions about should we build something or ought we to build something. Again, not whether we can, but whether we should. We know that there's a lot of things that we can do with AI. Are there things that we absolutely should not do with AI? If so, what are they? Where do you draw the line? Yes. Uh, even if we develop AI to have the capability to do something, it doesn't. I don't think that we should necessarily employ it to entertain that capability. And I, I think it's going to ultimately get to that pace. It's ultimately going to get to the to place where uh, AI is, is very capable of replicating nearly everything that a human can do, probably not entirely everything a human can do, but very closely. And that might be a hundred years away, or it might be more, might be 10 years away, depending on, you know, how fast we can move. But what I'm getting at is that there, there are definitely limits that we need to impose. Where I draw the line are things such as merging artificial intelligence with, you know, that AI human symbiosis. So there's a lot of talk right now about merging AI with the human brain and kind of augmenting our capabilities with computers. And that's something that I think we need to pretty, we need to take with a very sobering approach because AI right now is, isn't perfect and we're experiencing on merging it with, with humans, right? And the creators that are developing these biased models are going to merge these models with themselves. And it's just, you have this very weird paradox that can't turn out well, right? And so I, I think that's that's something that makes me uh, a little skeptical on, on some approaches. Where I think the uh, immediate threats right now with artificial intelligence are, I don't think they're gonna come in the form of Terminator right now. I think they're more of, of things such as, like there's a lot of talk about AI in defense, right? Should we be using artificial intelligence in, in, in defense products and in, in weaponry? And you're playing with fire at that point. I don't, I, I, I think there are, there are places in artificial intelligence or in defense which you should use AI to augment soldiers' capabilities or augment their understanding and situational awareness. And that's probably it, right? Like you don't ever wanna use, you don't wanna use AI to basically go beyond that. You don't ever want AI to be the last link in the chain. 
right? It's just, it needs to be able to, at this point, especially in this point in history, augment their capabilities, not replace them, provide humans with more information, provide them with additional situational awareness, provide more safety. So I think, you know, human symbiosis and, and defense products are, or I would probably draw the line with artificial intelligence development. We only have a few minutes left, so I want to ask two questions that speak to our audience of students out there. What do you wish you'd known when you were starting off building your company in its earliest phases? What advice would you give to the next generation of technologists that you wish that you had known? The number of people that thoroughly understand artificial intelligence is less than I expected. A lot of people that at least a lot of the clients that we initially spoke to understood AI really as Terminator, right? <laughs> or as, as, as things that really don't exist. And so there's a need for people to explain what AI is, how it can be used, how it should be developed, and how it should be employed. And given that, there is a lot of opportunity to really shape the trajectory of its development and really its its progress by small players. AI is a very, it's a field in its infancy. It's kind of synonymous to the state of the internet in the 1990s. And so there's a very big opportunity for small players to have a very large impact. So if there's anyone on the fence that's you know wondering whether or not they should contribute, I hope that you will. <laughs> I hope this kind of makes you uh, want to move forward and, and leap forward and and uh, take charge because there is a very, very big need for it. And there's a lot of industries that have not been exposed. We see a lot of, of industries that are exposed uh, or a lot of investment in time and venture capital into uh, self-driving cars and smart home assistance. And we see this all the time in the news, but there are a lot of industries that aren't being affected in a positive manner by artificial intelligence, right? And even the industries that are getting high uh, investment, both with time and money, aren't necessarily having AI developed with ethics employed. So again, there's a very big opportunity for small player, smaller players to come in and make a big impact and really shape the trajectory of artificial intelligence development such that it is a, a, a huge benefit uh, for humanity. So those, those are the two things that I wish I would have known. Um, and uh, I'm, the second one, I don't know if I guess maybe if I would have known that at the time, it might have deterred me uh, and scared me away from maybe contributing because your role becomes a lot more sobering when you realize you have more of an, you have, you can have more of an impact than you would have, you know, you might have as, at another job or in another industry. But at the same time, if your head's in the right place and you are an ethical person and you can make sure you have the, what it takes to employ the rigor, I think it's an opportunity to toe the line and, and really be a huge contributor to something that is going to be a phenomenal milestone in history. One last question before we end, what advice would you give to the next generation of humanists and technologists who are thinking about ethical technology? What would you want them to know understand or be aware of before they go to work in the tech industry, as many of them will likely do. AI, again, is uh, it's an industry um, within its infancy. And so there's a lot of opportunity to question the status quo. And so with that, there's a lot of opportunity to question the way things are done and maybe do things in a different manner. And so I would encourage students or people who go into anyone who goes into AI to think differently about the way things are done. And there's not really history to chart the course for what you're going to do with AI in the future. Uh, there's no history to shape the trajectory. So there's a lot of opportunity, but a lot of behind what you, uh, what, what we all do as technologists and AI developers. And so I, I would encourage you to, uh, yeah, really question the status quo and shape the trajectory in a manner that we can look back in history and say that it was developed in the right way and that we had the right people working on it and addressing these problems at the right time. 
And that really drills down to ethical data sets, ethical algorithms, making sure that ethics is a big part of the entire development loop, the entire development process. Make sure that you don't get caught up in typical mentality of move fast and break things and, and, and try to really be a part of this shift in thinking to make this next phase of AI better for humanity. Well, thank you so much, Cordell. Thank you, Tim.